0: Welcome back to Ghostly Talk, this is Scott L, and I'm by myself tonight. Amber couldn't be here. Let's talk about a couple of things before we move forward. Um, yeah, it's been a little bit since we've done a show. Um, had a few uh, things happen, life things happen with us, all good things, wonderful things. And I also need to take a vacation. I've been going pretty hard the last few years, and I hadn't really had some real good Downtime, uh, COVID kind of screwed up all my vacation stuff last year, and I just needed to take some time. Um, I do want to thank, and Amber wants to thank those of you who were nice enough. People were concerned, actually, it kind of blew my mind. We had a handful of people email us and say, "Hey, um, everything okay? You guys haven't posted any new shows lately, and it hasn't been that long, but I guess it was long enough for for people to reach out and thank you." Really appreciate you guys caring like that. That means a lot. Uh, tells us that you guys like the show and you like to hear from us for better or for worse. <laughs> but no, guys, thank you for uh, for reaching out on that. We really appreciate it. Uh, and um, as I said, Amber was not able to do the show tonight. She has other commitments this evening. So I'm here. And I got to say, uh, we're coming back with a doozy here. Um, I had the pleasure to speak to Michael Anthony Gagliardi. And uh, he just finished a book it just uh, just recently. And the name of the book is uh, Devil Take the Hindmost, A True Story of Terror. Devil Take the Hindmost, A True Story of Terror, is a true story of Michael's survival for 12-plus years with a demonically possessed mother. She terrorized the family, the neighbors, and authorities in a small northern town in Ontario, Canada from the mid-'70s to the mid-'80s. We got into some serious... Material tonight, let's say. I eh, Material is not a good word. We got into some serious thought. We got into a serious headspace, I think, me and Michael. Uh, and I really want to thank Michael. If you're listening, Michael, uh, I already thanked him a million times on the show, but I really want to stress this. It was amazing to speak to this man. It was, ex- it was amazing to exchange ideas with this man. Uh, and I do understand the situation that he was in. I've seen this personally. I've seen how our system treats people. And you'll understand all this when you finish listening to our discussion with Michael Anthony Gagliardi. Michael, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to come talk to us here on Ghostly Talk. Um, as we both know, this has been a long time coming. We've had a few, <laughs> we've had a couple of hiccups uh, getting things lined up here, and I'm really, really happy that we're finally sitting down together to have a conversation. How are you tonight, sir?
1: Uh, doing great. Doing real well. It's, uh, I'm living in Palm Springs right now, and today it's about 104. Oh, my God. So it, it's cooling off. So.
0: <laughs> We're here it's in Michigan
1: cool
0: today. we're here in Michigan and I think today is the first day of fall uh, that's what I heard yeah. today and we were greeted with uh, some wonderful misty rainy uh, gray goodness which is common for this time of year when when fall comes it starts to killing the leaves off and stuff like that uh, so yeah it was a great start to our beautiful fall season here in Michigan you wrote a book and I want yes. we, we're gonna talk about that the the book is called Devil take. Devil Take the Hindmost, A True Story of Terror. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, I think. Uh, and, I, may, I you know, I, I, we kind of go back and forth with questions we want to talk about and stuff like that. If I, Given the nature of, of this story and what you went through, I want you to feel free if I do ask a question maybe off the script a little bit, so to say, and you're not comfortable with that. Don't even hesitate to tell me, hey, Scott,
1: I'm not into that. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Give it, I, uh, I, I, go ahead. I'm open. Okay. Cool. I'm open. I mean, it's out now. This is what happened, and, mm-hmm. and I'm here to answer questions. So, okay. Excellent. Cool. And thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um,
0: Absolutely. So, to get things started off, you spent 12 years with your mother who was, who was demonically possessed. Um, yes. I guess the first question we can, you know, 12 years is a very long time. Uh, that's a lifetime for some, some creatures on this planet, right? Uh, yeah. And why was, I mean, 12 years like that, why was there no intervention within that 12 years, if I may ask?
1: Well, that, you know, that's a really great question. Uh, and that's one I've asked myself many times because there was a few times where, you know, the the police were always at our house. The fire department was at her house because she set the house on fire a number of times. And and uh, uh, two times she was taken away in a straitjacket to a mental institution and was returned three months later, two times with minors in the house. And, you know, the, the only solution I can come up with as to why no one got involved is because it, no one knew what really they were dealing with. hmm. And, uh, you know, living in a small town, my town was about 4,500 people mm-hmm. and in a small town in the, in the, you know, mid seventies to, you know, early eighties in Canada, that's, you know, I'm not going to say it was, you know, sticks or backwoods or anything, but, you know, those were times where everything was suppressed. And I happened to talk to, uh, to an exorcist about, um uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago who told me that he was an exorcist in Ontario, Canada at that time in the mid seventies mm-hmm. and everything that I had told him, he said, that's exactly how the policies were. Okay. And anything that went over every anybody's head, they were, they were told to suppress it and kind of put it away. So you, when you say these pol- I mean, policies, if we,
0: I mean, specifically, what kind of policies are we talking? Because, I mean, we know the answer, like suppress it. I guess right. if, if, it's a, if it's a policy, it is to keep things simple, I guess. And tell me if I'm wrong or if I'm right or whatever. Uh, if it's a policy or some type of idea that they just don't understand, right, you suppress it. Am I correct?
1: Right. Well, you know, I'll give you an example. Okay. And it's a really good one. And uh, he told me as soon as I was finished telling telling him he says that's exactly how they did it um you know when when she was taken away they you know both times actually you know there was records made she i, I mean she went to a mental institution they did the records and while i was writing this book i happened to call uh this facility and uh, it still existed but it was under more of an umbrella of the hospital more of a division of the hospital instead of its own um campus. And uh, I I asked the lady that answered the phone, uh, I forget what department they're in, but they deal with archives and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I asked for the records and they said, oh, sure, it's $35 and uh, we'll get you, we'll send you those records out. Uh, Can I have a name, please? And I told her the name and she said, okay. She said, "Uh, can I have the years that she would have been in here? And when I told her the years, she says, oh, no, 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 those would have been thrown out. Those would have been destroyed. We don't keep records from the 70s and the 80s. Anyway, she said, you know what? Just let me do a check and let me see. You, ne- you never know. Mm-hmm. So she, I, I physically hear her click clacking on, on the keyboard, and she goes, there's silence for a second. And she goes, hmm, that's interesting. It says that her, all her records were archived in another building off campus. So I said, can you get those? She says, well, I can't get them today. But I can get them and then call you back. Mm-hmm. Well, I waited a week. No one called me back. I called. No one answered. Nobody knew what I was talking about. Nobody knew nothing. And it just, it just, you know, fell apart. I was gonna at say, that.
0: It just kind of vaporized. It died on the vine. It yeah. sounds like.
1: And yeah. the uh, the uh, exorcist that I was talking to, uh, um, who was from that that time, who was in Ontario, you know, he had told me. You know, we had this conversation a few weeks ago. He told me that when he was there, that means what that specifically meant was that something happened while she was in the institution. And it it what it did is it flew over the head of their diagnosis. Yeah, so they, they, that's why her records were archived, because yeah. something had to have happened that they went, whoa, what are we dealing with here? There's something not right. So her records just weren't, uh, you know, weren't destroyed. They were archived. And why she came home, I have got no idea. Uh But uh, when I was uh, 16, when the second time she was taken, um, I remember sitting in an office with a number of, of doctors. I'm not sure if they were social service people or not. And they were just trying to convince me to leave because I was the minor in the house. My sister had already left by that time. She had had enough. Yeah. And uh, I was left there to fend by myself, and they were just telling me silly stories like, oh, so you're into music? Because I'm a musician, yeah. and that's when I first started. She, they were telling me, oh, you should just run away and, and go do music. They were trying everything under their power to get me out of that house so that they didn't have to deal with this. And I was actually extremely sarcastic at the time, and I told them, "So, so for them to take you, I have to return here with a knife in my back. Is, is that the way this works? Mm. And, you know, I was very sarcastic and very angry, but they were suppressing it and there was nothing I could do about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to point this
0: out too. And it's something we see more and more in, I mean, in the legal system, judicial system, uh, criminal system, whatever it might be. And I'm demon or no demon, let's say, okay. Demonic, you know, de- demonic possession or no demonic possession. Um, I I mean, I've experienced this, not personally, but I've seen this happen firsthand, like you obviously have, Michael, where we we just see uh, people get cycled through the system over and over again like this. And there's not really any, I don't see any means to try to treat the person or solve a problem that they may have. And what you just said in, in your situation here uh you know well what do i do i have to return here with a knife in my back for you guys to do something right that sums it all up it, it to me it seems like because yeah. it don't seem like and you know i'm not i'm not here to jump on soapboxes and complain about the systems we you know our systems we have in place in, in the united states right now um uh, but you know, it seems like it, there's less focus on prevention, but more reactionary type things, right. Where you just react to something that's happened already when the damage has already been done, the knife's already in your back. You've, you're already basically that can kill you (laughs) obviously. Right. So yeah, there is that issue, you know, and I think that's part of this whole story, you know, this whole story that you're, that you've told in the book, devil take the hindmost. Um, you know, I, and it's something I thought about when we were reviewing and getting ready for this show too. Now. So, I mean, obviously, you know, g- given the, 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 first thing we were talking about here, they just kept, they, it, to me, and I, I want to kind of hammer these points home too. And I, it's another thing I ha I, I see issues with also is academics or people who have a discipline. And we've talked about this a million times on our show here. Um, When something threatens their theory, or let's just say they have a book written on it, (laughs) right? Some type of idea, let's say. Um, When something threatens that, that's when I notice things start to, you know, shut down. Or as we said a second ago, so your mother is demonically possessed. And I think we can both agree, Michael, that... um, It's still something, you know, what a demonic possession is, even as we sit here and talk right now, either of us could probably really explain what the hell is going on. We we can't explain what's going on. I have no idea what's happening mechanically with that person in their mind, emotionally, physically. I can't explain it. Obviously, a doctor of medicine or a, a doctor of the mind, they can't explain it either, right? So what happens? It just gets brushed off to the side. There don't seem to be any type of, to me, I thought we were a curious race of people. <laughs> I guess that's all I can say, right? I, I think curiosity is what, what's what's gotten us where we are at this point right now, for better or for worse, right? Um, right? So being a curious race of people, a curious species that we are, why are we not curious when something comes down the pipe like this where, okay, I'm a psychologist and someone comes in, and they claim to be demonically possessed. It's like, well, let's get to the root of this. Let's figure out what's going on here. And it may be something that you can't explain, I guess. Does that make sense, Michael? I mean, as far as the, the thread we're on here?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it does. The The thing about it, I mean, since this has happened to me, I've spent the last 40 years researching this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, yeah. it, it. the problem is it doesn't fit the narrative. You know, it doesn't fit the Smithsonian's narrative. Yeah. Uh, you know, because if we have demons, then, you know, there's, uh we've got God. Because if you can't believe in evil, you can't believe in Satan and demons. If we can say that those exist, then consequently, angels and God must exist. Because one, if one existed and not the other, you know, they would take over. You know, you would have a, a domination of. Correct. A, of evil Mm -hmm. you know so you can't have one without the other and you know it really destroys the narrative of of what they're trying to you know there's an ideology in in every country and especially the united states i mean i'll just give you an example you know um you know they've been telling us that christopher columbus you know discovered america and that now has become a joke oh my god yeah yeah you're, right. yeah, you're right. We know now that, uh, you know, as time has gone by, that we've seen that there have been, you know, the Vikings and the Chinese and maybe the Phoenicians and possibly the Egyptians. And many people have come to this continent, you know, way before Christopher Columbus, you know, but that doesn't fit the narrative, you know. And, you know, the like you were saying about the education, you know, the education of this country, was established by an educational entity in America and everything had to fall in that narrative. You know, you guys have probably talked about, you know, giant skeletons that they found in America. Oh, yeah. They've actually they found 10 foot, 11 foot ones in my country in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, just down the street from where my cousin lives, mm-hmm. you know, and they were quickly swept away by the institutes, you know, and never to be seen or talked about again. So it really doesn't fit the narrative because there are consequences for for having a belief in something. For something being true, there has to be a consequence, you know, yes. and, and it changes our thinking. And uh, I don't think they're prepared to do that. <laughs>
0: Well, and I've always went by an uh, an old man told me this years ago, and it's something I hear more and more nowadays, you know, and I think it does ring true. You know, those who win the wars are the ones that get the right to history, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, And that's what I think as... You know, I, I, you know, we all. I think I have my own beliefs in what history is, and I think there's some things that are being done wrong with our history these days. But I, I do notice that I'm seeing this more and more. And Christopher Columbus is a very good example that you said, Michael, that we're starting to, you know, as as stuff starts to get dug up, unearthed, uh, and we start seeing more and more facts about things. There's, uh, you know, there's several things I know I learned as a as a child in elementary school in the early '80s. That um, I now it's complete like like Christopher Columbus again it's a, it's a perfect example it was one of those things we learned when we were very young and you're right Michael it's a joke now
1: it's a it joke, is a joke.
0: <laughs> it's a complete joke it's a laughing stock it's like how could we ever believe that here's all these other facts right uh, yeah again th- those who you know those who win the war get to write the history I guess uh, yeah. so so we're learning this more and more and we're seeing. And maybe again, we're a curious race. I'll go. I'll fall back on that. We're a curious race of people. Uh, so we're curious about that. We're willing to go back and, as an example, we're willing to step back and say, "Well, that's not right. This isn't the correct history. Here's what really happened, right?" And we'll take the time and we'll be curious and we'll dig into this and we'll we'll get the facts, right? Yeah. I don't exactly. under, so you know, and that don't fit the that don't fit the narrative necessarily either. I mean, whatever you're trying to find out, but when somebody and in your case, um, my mother's demonically possessed, right? People do yeah. not want to be curious enough to try to get to the guts of that because you are right. It don't fit the narrative, and if I may <laughs> walk in this direction for a second, I think people. And, and anybody listening to this show, even you or myself, Michael, we all have our own beliefs. I I, I I'm one of those people that respects everybody's beliefs. I think you know, what you want, great, do do your thing. Um, I do think that one of the things is, especially in academia too, that they are they are, and I'm going to try to say this in a fair way, religion or the idea of good and evil or the idea of God and the devil don't necessarily fit into their narrative also if you're a pure scientist. Do you follow me yeah. so far, Michael, right?
1: Yep, and, absolutely.
0: And this may be what you were alluding to a few minutes ago also is, okay, this isn't part of our narrative. Um, and look, I understand a scientist saying, look, man, uh, this idea uh, of God and and all these stories from this book and stuff like that, none of this stuff's proven. You can't prove any of this thing. You can't touch it. You can't taste it. It's infallible or, or, Oh, what's the word? Never, never mind. <laughs> Moving along. Um, <laughs> you, you, you can't, it's intangible. That's the word I tripped over yeah. my own words. It's intangible. So therefore, you know, as a scientist, I I'm held to all these beliefs and I do not believe this. I can understand that. I, I can understand. I, I, and I respect that opinion too, but you cannot bend history to, to your will, to fit your narrative. Does that make sense, Michael? What I'm saying, or am I just running all over the place here?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, you know, the holes, the holes get poked in it sooner or later, because you str- you try stretching this 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 false canvas yeah. out farther and farther every year, you know, decade yeah. after decade, and then it begins to get thin, and then you're able to see through it. And then eventually it has a hole in it. And now you're beginning to see on the other side that there's a lot more to this. And, you know, social media has really helped with this. And it, just the mere fact, I mean, we've got people now who are billionaires who are going going to the moon. Yeah. And, you know, like Richard uh, Richard Branson. I mean, never before. It was always the government that carried all that power. So we're seeing this delineation uh, of power now to to, you know, regular people. And now they're beginning to take fund their own archaeological digs and and finding these things out and hiring their own people instead of the Smithsonian going up, going out and, uh, you know, explaining everything for us and then putting putting it in a textbook for all of us to swallow, you know, like a great deceptive pill.
0: Yeah, you know,
1: and and that's a very
0: interesting way that, that I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry, Michael. That's OK. Well, I was just going to say that. And I, that's as you were explaining that, that's what was spinning up in my mind was. Yeah, we used to I mean, think about this at one time. And this was only maybe a few d- decades ago. We only had a couple sources for like information. I mean, main sources, if you wanted to find something out, uh, you'd have to go to a library. Or if you yeah. were lucky, my family was lucky. We actually had an encyclopedia set. We yes. had books of encyclopedias, man. It was heavy, right? That was the internet. Uh, that that yeah. was the internet at the time. Or you or if you needed to figure out how to fix your car or or do something, you were going to the library and you were finding a book on something to to or you know whatever project you were doing. Um so now though, and I mean you know the encyclopedia is a good example of that too. I mean, at one time the encyclopedia was the de facto source for information. That was the the end of the line. That's where you would get your information from, um, yes. And you trusted that. You that you had to put your trust in that. That those were the facts, and that was yes. the single what what we refer to in my line of work as the single point of truth, right? Right. Um, yep. Now, and I mean i I say this for better or for worse, also because we know there's an ugly side to this this too when it comes to the internet. Now. We have thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not, I would say millions of different points that we can find information from because of the Internet, because of social media, because of those things. And again, I I stress for better or for worse, because, you know, while I think there are facts being undug that are changing, you know, the way we look at history or maybe giving us the real truth of history, we, we both know there's a lot of malarkey out there too. <laughs> there there yeah. really is. So there's an ugly side to that too. But you're right, um, the internet has given a lot of people who would not normally have that opportunity a voice to talk about these things or maybe get facts out there that they would normally not be able to do if it was back in like the 1960s or 70s or even the early 80s, right? So that's a very interesting idea, Michael, uh, that, that you postulate there.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've all been, we've all been, uh, a subject, uh, to one's interpretation of science and, and education for a long time, you know, and, Uh you know, being able to see things, you know, like the Christopher Columbus thing, it really is a joke. I mean, and you know, even like like Thanksgiving's coming around. You know, the narrative of Thanksgiving is such a joke too. You know, they don't even have the food right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. For, for Thanksgiving, <laughs> I mean, come on now. You know, I mean, it doesn't take. You know, everything is out there if you're willing to search. You know, when I was when I was a kid, I I tried to spend as much time away from home as I could, and I loved. I loved digging in the dirt. I loved looking for things. I was always searching for things, you know. And and the one who seeks finds. You know, I'm I'm an amateur uh, metal detector uh, guy, you know, right yeah, now. Yeah. And and uh, you know, if you if you're looking for gold, you have to find out where gold is, how to find it, how to recognize it. You know, you have you have to do the homework. You got to put the time you know, in.
0: You got yeah time. you're
1: not just going to find it laying on the ground it's going to take work it's going to take time it's going to take money and and uh, you know the governments and the educ and the educational institutes have we've never had those tools before but now we do you mm-hmm. know and we become our own institutes you know for finding out knowledge and presenting it uh, like if you're a if you're a video blogger or a blogger, you know, you can delve into any subject you would like, mm-hmm. you know, and you're going to have people that are going to follow. They're going to listen. They want to hear what you've discovered. You know, it's not just being all funneled through, you know, some government agency, you know, right. whether it's been accepted or diluted or or deviated from the original truth, yes. you know. Yeah. And that's the beauty, I guess, uh, of the internet. As far as one of the one of the good things about it, oh, anyway.
0: Absolutely, and I couldn't agree more with that. And, and I I I want to digress here because I, I, it's one thing I've to mention. We do we sometimes we fly out into the weeds, and I think we're way in the weeds here. <laughs> so, so, but it, but it all does tie in, I think, because I think this this whole thing rooted from the idea uh, of academia, uh, of of belief systems, of people's narratives, right? So yeah, I do have to ask you in regard, to stepping back to your mother now, right? Um, we, and we, you know, we kind of alluded to some of this stuff here a few minutes ago, but I have to ask you the question. I don't, I hate asking this question, but I have to ask it is, you know, as far she was demonically possessed, right? You say she was demonically possessed. Um, yes. How do you know she was possessed? Could she have just been suffering some t- for some for from some type of mental disorder, manic depression, whatever it might be, schizophrenia, Um i mean what yeah where what are the earmarks that that told you or maybe others are in your circle that she is
1: she was demonically possessed well at at first you know one might have thought that because in the early days when i was like three years old you know that we're talking like back in 1971 she started to do crazy things like pouring hot soup on me and things like this and, and uh she began talking to herself and and th- those, I mean, you see homeless people talk to themselves, and and you think, well, they just got mental mental issues. But you know, demonic entities they hide behind mental issues, but it eventually gets worse and worse until until there's no hiding it anymore. And as the years ticked away, she got worse and she got worse. Her her talking to herself, you know, turned into multiple you know, conversations with multiple people. And then it turned into multiple conversations with multiple people with different voices. And then from there, it escalated into, you know, different voices speaking different languages. And then it went from that into very violent, very vile things, you know, and, and then she began to, to, you know, to destroy herself. I mean, for a good four and a half years, for 16 hours a day during the light, light you know during the times where the sun was out yeah she would be whacking herself with a log and 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 having these conversations and talking in different languages and and in in voices that were you know not her own you know and she was beating herself and and hitting herself on the head and on the chest with a big log and she did this she did this consequently for like four and a half years for 16 hours a day and then at night time you know this is when the screaming started and it sounded like uh, there was always wrestling in her room like three people you know wrestling in the room we you know we had a subfloor so when you hit the ground on the floor you can hear it throughout the house yeah and we, i i could hear bang <laughs> bang, <laughs> bang <laughs> like like three people were wrestling yeah and then i would run in there really quick and open the door you know throw it wide open and she'd be lying in her bed with her covers pulled up to her eyeballs. And I'm going, What the hell's going on in here? Yeah. You know? And this kind of stuff, you know, and then she would start screaming at night, saying that you know, Satan was jumping off the ceiling onto her chest. And and uh, you know, this went on this went on for so so long until it got so bad that I actually we had a confrontation one day, and this was the last one we ever had. Where I saw the left side of her face contorting, you know, bubbling out like a, like pull it, you know, a, a balloon. You push yeah. on one side and the other side bulges out. Yeah. And her eyes were just jet black balls. And when I had seen her at that point, at that point, I ran out of the house. I was in a, a, an utter state of shock that I couldn't even talk. I tried to just utter one word to pull myself together and I couldn't talk. So I happened to... Uh, to uh, reach in um, around the the corner, you know, because our phone was right by the door. We had a mudroom because we're from the East Coast, and yeah. you had a you, know, you yeah. have a mudroom, so yeah. most people understand that. Yeah. And our phone was on a long cord, so I pulled the phone outside. You know, she had slammed the door in her room, and I called my father, and but it took me twenty minutes to dial the number. We had the rotary phones back then. Oh yeah. I couldn't get my finger in the hole. To, to, to dial the number, it was shaking so bad, I couldn't get the numbers in. It took me 20 minutes to dial the number, you know, and and I don't even remember saying anything when I got my dad on the phone. I was just in shock, and but he heard my voice. You know, I was trying to speak, and he ended up coming over, and I followed him into the house, and, you know, she's only five foot tall, and she weighed like 280 pounds. She was as wide as she was tall, almost. Okay. All right. And when my father walked in the door, he's five, seven, you know, probably, uh, you know, 160 pounds. She jumped him threw him to the ground, started scratching his face and growling in this, you know, animalistic, unhuman voice. And, uh, he was so shocked. He finally got away from her and he ran outside and he was shaking and he was in shock. And I ran outside with him. I was now in more shock. And then he happened to call the, uh, the police department, which came out to our house many, many times. In fact, she terrorized all the neighbors by knocking on their door and telling them she was going to cut their heads off. I mean, okay. this this went on every day, never ceasing, you know, ever. I mean, there were some times where I would, uh, I would go for a ride on my bike at eight o'clock in the morning and not come out to eat o- till ho- come home till eight o'clock at night. And from outside when I was parking my bike, I could hear the thumping of the log she was whacking her chest with and she was doing that when I left at eight in the morning. I mean, it was, it was uh, an insanity that I, by the, by the time I was in 10th grade, I started falling apart. I started, uh, you know, failing grades and, and, you know, nobody even at school, I had one teacher in the 10th grade who was my homeroom teacher that asked me to stay after, after the bell one, one day and asked me straight up, is there anything, is everything okay at home? And I just said, "Uh, yeah, I didn't even know anything was wrong. You know, I said, yeah, everything's fine. And she said, okay, and let me go. And that was the, that was the extent of any uh, teacher involvement as well. You know, the seventies and eighties were a very hush, hush time where nobody talked about anything you know, but what was going on at my house was going on all day long, all night long. I mean, my sister, I barely ever saw her and she lived in the house because she lived in a room with a lock on the door from the inside. And when I went to sleep at night, I pushed the armoire against the uh, door. And then I slept with a hockey stick in the same fetal position for so many years I wore holes from my knee, my hip, my shoulder and my ankle right down to the springs of my bed because yeah. I stayed in the same position with a hockey stick all night long you know as she rampaged through the house yeah. you know trying to open the door and laughing and screaming and whistling and whacking herself I could hear the thumps in the hallway. So you know yeah. this never stopped Now this it never she this, she did other yeah. things too she prophesied. You know, she she told us that, uh, well, she told my sister that President Kennedy was going to be assassinated. She would tell me where I was when I would go out. You know, I'm like, how the hell do you know that? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm 12, 12 miles away. And she would know where I was. And and it, it was just insanity. I don't want to step back too far
0: here. But what you're describing, obviously, is not a good situation, not a good home situation for anybody. That would not be a good home situation for me, and I'm 46 years old, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I couldn't deal with that. And I know you said, uh, you know, you know, you explain why there was no intervention, but it seems like, I mean, well, if I, and I'm not prying here, but I'm just curious. I mean, was there... You said that she was committed a few times. Am I, am I correct? A handful, yes, a handful of times twice uh, with, were the cops
1: ever out to your house? They, they, I mean, I'm sure
0: that you had to call them all the, the time. Police. Okay.
1: All right. They, the cops were out because they would come to our house because she was knocking on everyone's door on the street, telling them she was going to cut their heads off. She did that routinely, routinely. Yeah. And the two times she was taken away um, she was taken away in a straitjacket with the police and the mental institution there. Yeah. The first time was when she tried to murder my sister with a butcher knife. And, okay. and they pulled me out of school because they saw her running around the car in the driveway with my mother chasing her with a butcher, butcher's knife. And the neighbors saw it and they called the police. And then they you know took her away that day. So I, I you have, know, even after committed mur- trying to commit murder, uh-huh. you know, they still brought her back to the house with the minors.
0: I, I asked that question because I think people out there, uh, you know, and people listening to this show right now, if you're listening to this, I mean, you make your own judgments on what, you know, on what's going on here. Of course, that's your right to do that. But I can tell you, Michael, myself, that I've seen this recently, a situation like this. I've I experienced it directly, indirectly, let's say Uh, a situation similar to this um, where a person was just going off the rails all the time. Excuse me. And um, they were having the cops called on them all the time. Right. And the cops would come out and do a welfare check. I say that in quotes. Right. And that would be the end of it. And, and I, I'm sorry to step back again, but um, that man died. I think I talked about it here on the show a while back. This happened about a year ago almost. Um, this man died because he flipped out one night and ended up having a, a standoff with the police for 10 hours. Because it, he just flipped his... I mean, I, I I should think of a more respectful term, but he did go crazy. He, he went insane. And... But the but the problems were going on well before that occurrence, and it just to me says like okay I said earlier, the reactionary system that we live in now is as opposed to the preventative system that we should be living in. I think right like okay this person clearly, this has been our fifth visit here in the last month and a half. There's something seriously going on here. We need we need to do something about this right. Yes,
1: you would have thought so. You would, you would have, have thought, thought so. Yeah. yeah but right? when the police came and and would interview her. I could hear sometimes from where I was, she was completely cordial and completely sane. I had never heard her talk like that in the house ever. She only talked that's like manipu- that when the
0: police were there. That's manipulation too. That's, I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's manipulation. Um, yeah. So I mean, I'm only saying that because I do understand the situation you were in to a certain degree because it isn't, it isn't, people think it's so easy. Well, we call the cops and the cops take them away. And then they get help, and then they're fine. That is not how it works. That is so yeah. far how it really works. Uh, yeah. And I don't, and I'm not going to chastise anybody who don't understand that. But I'm telling you, that's not how it works. I've seen it more times than just the situation that I've explained, uh, and even talking about your 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 experience, Michael. Uh, it don't work that way. It simply don't work that way. Get it through your head. <laughs> you yeah. have. I mean, and not to be so direct, but that, but it's the truth. And I, that's why I I believe this because I've seen it happen too many times. Um, I got to ask also, Michael, um, you know, and you made some interesting comments a few minutes ago too. I want to, I want to just step back and unpack for a second here too. I mean, demonic possession. I, and if I'm wrong on this statement, I, I don't want to misquote you. Demonic possession can hide itself behind mental illness. Is that what you said? Yeah. Is that nice? Um, well, I know a lot of mentally ill people. <laughs> I'm sure you do too. I think we all know, uh, a lot of mentally, I know several people. I mean, I technically I'm mentally ill. We, I think we all have some type of ailment mentally that, that we, we have to cope with every day. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, here's an example, or I mean, another example of somebody I experienced I had, uh, that you could probably identify with, which I'm, as you tell if you're, as you're telling me about your mother, I've been thinking about this this particular situation the whole way through i had a, a gentleman here earlier this year who clearly had issues and thankfully we were just sitting in the garage <laughs> here wouldn't he wouldn't, yeah. he wouldn't he wouldn't he wouldn't come into my house um we were sitting in the garage just you know having some cocktails and talking it was and it was it was cold outside you know we would go out in the garage because some of these people smoke cigarettes and stuff like that so i said well let's go out in the garage and you guys can do that and i have a, one of those um those uh propane heater things. You know it's a, it's a propane You do a propane take, and it and it make it makes heat. Warms the garage up. Um long story short, this guy flipped his lid and ran over and basically put his arms on the grates of the of the heater like the the, the, the fencing around the heating element which is like red hot, right? Right. And burned his arms. The whole garage smelled like burning hair and burning flesh, which right. Uh, I I I responded not too well. <laughs> I wasn't exactly thrilled to see someone do that to themselves in my garage. Um, you know, but you, you mentioned that demonic possession hides behind mental illness, right? Um, yes. You also mentioned that your mom was hurting herself. She's beating herself, trying to obliterate herself. Yes. And I saw something like that firsthand, just January of this year. And one thing that makes me think about also, there's plenty of stuff you can watch. You can watch You can watch violence on TV. You can watch people do all kinds of unspeakable things of themselves on TV. Uh, we all know how media works, uh, movies and whatever it might be out there. Uh, but when you see something actually happen in front of you like that, like when That's I saw that, when I saw that, yeah, that, that truly disturbed me. Like, I had a few drinks after that. (laughs) I won't lie. I had a few drinks just to try to knock the edge off because, and when, I mean, we had to get him out of there. He had to go. And when we got him out of there, I'm like, you know, and I remember saying that to my other friends. I'm like, that really bothered me, man. Like, to see somebody do that to themselves, that really would hurt. And he didn't seem to really, it didn't really seem to phase him. I mean, he he groined a little bit. But I know if that happened to me, I would scream my head off. I know how I'd respond. I got a very low pain tolerance. Uh, yeah. It didn't seem to really phase him because he got right up from screaming and yelling going, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, okay. So those things like all put together there, it makes me think like, was this guy, I mean, he clearly had mental issues and that's verified, Right but i wonder right. if he is a victim to this also like he may be possessed in some way
1: do you have any thoughts on that michael well it's it's very the the you can you can bring it out it's actually very easy to tell if somebody is has mental issues compared to someone who is harboring <coughs> you know evil entities all it takes is a few sentences and and they come out So it it doesn't take much to, uh, but see, that's the thing, you know, when you're being diagnosed for mental illnesses, you know, they don't know, they don't know what to say to, to make that distinguishing, uh, to hear those distinguishing characteristics, you know, they don't know what to say, you know? So a lot of people, you know, I would imagine that, uh, because I'm so used to it, I can see people on the street, like for instance, when I go into Los Angeles, I don't know where you're at, but I live in Palm Springs. We're about uh, two hours from LA. Yeah, Michigan here, Detroit. Michigan. Oh yeah, you're in Michigan. Yeah. When I go to Los Angeles, you know, you got so many tent cities and all these homeless people, you know, uh, I can go driving down the street and I can look at somebody and I can say that person, that person, demonic possession isn't possession like you see in the movies. I mean, you know, the spinning their head around and, you know, this gore, you know, demonic entities are spirits, (laughs) you know, they're, they're not, they're not, it's not about gore, they're spirits, it's about rebellion, it's about hate, hate for human beings, hate for God, you know, hate for anything that is good. You know, we as men, we make these movies about zombies and flesh-eating creatures. It's always about the gore and guts and stuff like that. Yeah. But that's not what demonic spirits are, are about. Demonic spirits are looking. They are looking to gain entrance so they can have some sort of sanctuary because they are disembodied spirits. And, you know, to this day, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a speaker and lecturer. Um, on, these, on these subjects, because I've been studying it for 40 years. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm so familiar with it for spending, you know, from the age of three years old to, to 17, 18 years old. I, I can hear their speech. I know their patterns. I know their gait. There's a gait in speech, like how somebody walks, they've got a certain gait. If they left footprints in, in the yeah. mud, you yeah. could tell which, oh, one side is lower than the other, one side bears more weight, uh, one foot is put a little bit farther or a little bit off center, okay? That's called a gate. Well, there's gates and speeches, and there's inflections in speech, you know? And I can hear these things. I can hear if somebody is demonically possessed because they all speak the same they all speak the same, and it doesn't matter what language is it, it's in, mm-hmm. you know, they, whether it's German. In fact, I learned to speak German uh, from listening to transcripts of demonic exorcisms from that both of the priests and mm. of the uh, demonic entities. And the demonic entities were all speaking in the perfect inflections of their area, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, they you know, I watch all these guys on TV, these paranormal guys and they've got it all wrong and they just recant or they keep, you know, repeating the same thing and one gets it from the other and another gets it from them. You know, those, all the silly nonsense about, uh, you know, well, there's, you know, John killed himself, you know, hung himself in the basement. You know, that's why he, there's residual energy from his spirit. <laughs> you got It's all backwards and wrong. Mm. You know, when you study who, who demons are, where their origins are, where are they right now? How come they're not able to possess people at will? You know, there are limits. There are limits. There are there are boundaries. And once you begin to understand this, you begin to understand what demonic possession is all about. It's about rebellion and it's about hate. It's not about being gory or trying to, you know, murder people. Of course, their they're, they're one commission is to want to destroy your life. They want to destroy your life. They want to destroy your family's life. They want to destroy the the unit of, of, of family. I mean, they're all generational. They're all generational. They follow generations. I mean, my generation, my genealogy is from Italy. And we've got people that committed suicide, hung themselves in the basement, and all this kind of, kind of terrible stuff. I mean, my cousin, who is my age, she hung herself in her basement with three kids. I mean, yeah. that that's not just something pe- that somebody does, and it's repeated over, you know, in your family, you know, because they're depressed. Yeah, you know, I I mean, rational people don't do that. You know, well, yeah, the, logical
0: people don't do that.
1: Lo- people yeah. think logic. So if yeah. you're going to even entertain the fact that demonic possession exists, you must you must accept and embrace the fact that demonic. Oppression and locality exists. They are here. They envelop a space. They are real. They can oppress and they can possess. But there's those two, those two options are completely different. One is willing and one is unwilling. Possession always happens by someone inviting that spirit into them, giving them entry willingly. And this is what you see with uh, Ouija boards. And, you know, now you've got all these uh, paranormal guys teaching all these kids about EVPs that you can communicate with spirits. Listen, there are no little girls out there who are five years old, leaving toys on hotel beds that are, you know, cute little spirits, you know, wanting to contact you because they need to uh, complete something in their life. Okay, that's nonsense. They're all demonic entities, and they want—they're—they're deceivers. They're spirit deceivers, and they want to gain access to your life. They want to gain your—what um, do you call it? Your—they want you to think that they're not bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, for all intents and purposes. You know, they want you to think they're lovely and cuddly, and that they want to show you things and tell you things. But that is all the biggest lie they're all demonic entities trying to gain entrance into your life and and they gained entrance into my mother's life willingly and they ended up killing her at 46 years old she but, died with no gray hair and died at 46 i
0: have to so, ask michael and i and i want to talk more about that what you said is a pretty 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 big idea because i mean we talk a lot about ghost hunting and and spirit spirit hunting and stuff you know i mean i I hate using the term hunting we're not hunting anything it's observing if anything at at best they're observing you okay (laughs) the Uh, other way around yeah so uh, we talk a lot about that i mean that's kind of how we started doing this show years and years ago though too right um so what you're saying though I, i guess your statement is uh there there's no such thing as like just a a friendly old spirit of somebody who may have passed away in a house and they just didn't want to leave their house.
1: What you're saying, absolutely not you're saying that these are all demonic entities. Correct. Absolutely not. What, Scott, what, I'll tell you, I've talked to guys like Josh Gates and Dave from ghost hunters and all these guys. Yeah. And they will never have me come on their show because I'll put them out of business. The truth. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, you know, one thing I want to mention also
0: too, is we found that over the last, you know, it, I, I can't say that I'm, I, I'm an expert on this in any way because I, I tend not to follow the TV shows. I got my own opinions about the about all the reality TV shows on this subject. Uh, but right. one thing I did notice a few years ago was that everything, if they couldn't explain it away or something like that, they would say it was a demonic entity. Oh, it's a demon. We, we make, we've been making that joke for years. Like, oh, we don't know where it is. Well, it's a demon. It's got to be a demon right. if we don't know where That's it right. is. Right. Um, but to what you're saying kind of supports that though I guess because uh, you're saying that these are all demons. These are all demonic well, entities.
1: They're all demonic entities and if we had the time this is what I lecture on. I'll I'll prove it to you. I can prove it to you because it, you know I don't want to go into I don't want to give all that away yeah, I but understand. part of that is part of that is in the second book. See the second book. I just finished it yesterday and delivered it to the editor. Oh wow, so, congratulations. Yeah. The second book is The Aftermath. So it's, I went through all that. And then at 19 years old, the book starts from 19 to currently I'm 54 right now. And, uh, you know, it never stopped. I have all kinds of things going on. I have gone on in my life, in my house, with my kids. You know, they never leave. They never leave, but they have no power. They have no power over me. That's the greatest thing that anyone could actually take away, no matter what you believe, is they completely operate on a fear basis? It's always on a fear basis. They have yeah. no power over you, lest you give it to them, and it has to be willingly. But going but back, other than that, yeah. going, I mean, like I said, uh-huh. I could go on these guys' show, these guys' shows, and put them out of business in fifteen minutes. Well, you'd never make it. You'd never make
0: it past the editing room. You know that. Yes, <laughs> you'd exactly. never make it past the editing room. They'd say, this "And, is and Michael. the interesting and the thing
1: is that I can prove it." I can prove it. I can put it into action and show you, show you how it works, how that we have power over them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, all these crazy guys, I mean, no disrespect to, you know, Zach Baggins and all these guys, but I mean, come on, uh, you know, you know, that just before a commercial comes, somebody's going to go, whoa, yeah. you know, what was that? The I mean, because yeah. their producer's going in, hey, we need a couple of out- of outs for commercials yeah, cliffhangers you know yeah i mean it's 99 percent entertainment and the other percent is i don't know what i'm talking about
0: that's exactly where it is 100 that is the truth right.
1: of the matter Sealed, done, and delivered. I couldn't agree more. I want to step back to your mom.
0: I'm sorry. We're kind of bouncing all over the place here, but there's so much to talk about. Um, There is. And it it, it takes you in so many directions, obviously. Yes. Yes. And I'm I'm sorry your mom passed. Uh, My condolences uh, on your mother. You said she passed away at 46, correct? Yes. God, I'm 46. That scares the hell out of me. (laughs) I just said I was 46 (laughs) a few minutes ago. Um, I do want to ask you one question concerning your mom. I mean, we've talked about all the... The crazy stuff that's happened uh her being committed i mean we we went through a lot of stuff uh, well and we can we may have answered this question already i don't know uh demonic possession hides behind mental illness right so i mean yeah i, I guess my question is do you know what may have caused this situation like yes. what was the catalyst that took your mom to that point Ultimately yes. after her death at 46.
1: Yes. And I'll tell you what it is. It's uh, the evidence that I've, I've gotten from my sister who's seven years older than me. And uh, the memories that I've put together from when I was a child. See, before I was born, my mother, my mother's father, who she adored, she loved him so much. Yeah. He was killed in a tragic, a tragic train accident. And when that happened, my grandmother, which was her mother, she went off the rails and left her, who's my mother, who's the eldest, and she had two other siblings who were younger than her. So my grandmother went off the rails, started going out and partying and doing all this because she didn't know how what how to deal with this. My mother had to basically raise her, her two siblings, and then I remember when I was probably three years old. Um, when we lived in Toronto at the time, uh, you know, you'd be in your in your room going to sleep with, you know, with your door open two inches and adults think that you can't hear and you don't understand. But we know that that's not true. Right. So, you know, you remember stuff and then you you figure it out later, you know, when you get older. Uh So I remember at three years old, I remember them sitting around the table talking about, you know, we're talking 1971 and I heard them talking about seances. I never knew what that word meant. I heard them talk about you know spirits and, and ghosts and and uh, and uh, and other things. So my, my understanding is that her, my mother, and her sister tried to, through a seance, contact her father, whom she loved so greatly, and was completely destroyed when he died. And I think that is what is what the entry point was. She was willing to participate in something that was allowing an entry point for her. And, you know, when you can look at every case of demonic uh, possession, I've read every one there is, every transcript, every, I've heard every tape, seen every video from the 13th century and on, because I studied this yeah. to find out, you know, was this what my mom went through? She fit all the characteristics, but uh, those, those things, Those things that happen when they gain entry, demonic uh, um, possession doesn't happen like, you know, boom, and then he's in you and now you're, you know, you know, spinning your head and spitting pea soup. That's not how it works. You know, it usually starts off slow in the house, scratching, knocking, doors opening, this kind of thing to get to get you used to the fact that there's something that is inhuman there. Once you get used to that, people even get to the notion, oh, yeah, that's my friend. Really? Okay. Uh, Try resist. If you don't believe in the devil, try resisting him sometime. Anyway, what happens is that is the beginning. And see, this is how my mother started. Just little things here and there, starting to talk to herself, starting to say, say that she saw little people running around the house and that the cat, you know, a few years later then the cat was murdering them. Because she saw little feet hanging out their mouth. And then it started to progress and get a little worse. She became a little more violent, a little more talkative. And then the foreign languages came in. Then the the distinctive multiple voices with guttural man voices. I don't know if you've ever studied the Annalise Michelle case. But you listen to her speaking voice. yeah. Yeah. You listen to her speaking voice as opposed to the demonic entities working in her. That's how my mother was. And she would conversate because there were many inside of her and they were arguing for, for uh, control. You know, she actually had maybe three lucid moments. There are only three I can ever remember of her talking in a normal voice to me where she said, and this was like a plea. She was reaching out to me. She said, you know, they're running, they're getting into me. They're running up the back of my spine into my head and perching in my head, you know, and then boom, as soon as she was done, she'd go right back, you know, and and going into this and whacking herself and then going into whistling and singing like crazy, like the Roland Doe case, you know, where he was singing songs and whistling, you know, in perfect harmony, you know, and these are all the things, you know, I, all the characteristics, my mother my mother, uh, uh, exhibited were all the ones of every demonic and every, um, you know, real case that people said, yes, this was beyond psychological. There were things flying around the room. There yeah. were, yeah. you know, there was something very evil and wicked going on here. And that's the difference. There's a difference between people talking to themselves and there's a difference between them being evil and wicked. And you see, you you can look at a person who is demonically possessed and they will show the characteristics because they can't deny their nature, you see? And then yeah. when you begin to question them, when you begin to question them, they still can't deny their nature. They, although they might lie about it, which in the Annalise Michelle case, I can show you probably a hundred cases where they're lying to the priests and the priests are believing them, you know, but you can tell you can tell, you begin to, to ah, there's a characteristic. I mean, I think nowadays they they put like five characteristics, superhuman strength, uh, speaking in languages, you know, a certain weird smell, prophecy, you know, being able to tell things about people that they shouldn't have known, you know, thing, things of that nature. I mean, my mother had all of those things for years. and And this went on and on, you know, as far as I know out of every case I've ever looked at, I have the longest lasting case of anyone I've ever read. I mean, Annalise Michelle went nine months. I mean, mine was 12 plus years. 12 plus years, yeah. Yeah, but the thing was, nobody knew it was demonic possession because there was no one in the house but us. You know, the police came, she snapped. She snapped out of it and was completely lucid and normal. And that's the only time I ever heard her talk like that. She never talked to us from all of my memories from three years old. She never talked to me like a real person. Hi, how are you doing? How was school? Anything like that. It was always this this lunacy that got progressively worse year after year after year, you know, hours yeah. into the wee hours. of night. I don't even know if she ever slept. I, I honestly cannot say there was a time where I think, oh, she must be asleep. I, I, I just can't. I yeah. can't picture it. I can't find it. You know, this went on went long after I was trying to sleep. You know, I always fell asleep because I physically had to beat myself up to put myself to sleep. I would bang on my legs so hard that you'd get that euphoric feeling. You know, when you have an injury, you're just drained. Yeah. And that's what I would do. I would beat myself silly every night until my my legs couldn't take it anymore, until I would just fall asleep because of the euphoria of it all. Yeah. You know, so I, and I never knew. I never heard her sleeping. This obviously She was always screaming, uh, you know?
0: There's no doubt in my mind this caused some kind of trauma. Uh there's just no well, doubt in my mind growing up with something like this. Um so I don't even need to ask you that question. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to Well, ask that's that what question. the
1: second book's about.
0: Yeah. Uh well, it, well if if I may ask and if if if, if this isn't cool, just say How do you you cope with this? I mean, really, how do you cope with this now?
1: Well, Scott, I tell you, I haven't been coping with it for 40 years. Um, It's, well, you really have to read the book to understand everything. I can't go through everything. Yeah. But I have a different look of everything of life. I'm on the defense. I'm like a military, military soldier. I can't stand in a room. Without looking for an exit, without uh, um, you know looking at everyone and seeing their th- their threat, whether they pose a threat to me or not, how yeah. I'm going to take them out, how I'm going to handle them, you know, I've never been able to hold down a job, you know that's why I mean I'm a musician. I don't have to talk to anybody. I play for two two hours. I make enough money to to live. Yeah. You know I haven't done it. I've blacked out in the last couple of years, probably twelve times in two years. You know, I have blackouts. I had insomnia for uh, 16 or 18 years. You know, I I didn't go through puberty till I was in my 20s because I was so chemically imbalanced from the trauma. You know, I couldn't even talk on the phone until I was like 25. You know, I couldn't have a conversation with somebody on the phone. I'd have to have other people. You know, my wife, especially, who's been with me for 36 years, I'd have to have her make phone calls for me because I couldn't talk on the phone. I had no social skills whatsoever. But on the other hand, in school, I was a complete overachiever. I won every award there was to win. I was an academic scholar. I had trophies. I I was the captain of every team. And then by grade 10, I couldn't handle it anymore. And it was like, it's going to be you or me. You know, I, it was going to be between my mother and me. One of us was going to die. Yeah. I, I couldn't deal with it. I was beginning to f- to literally fall apart mentally at that point. And even after it was over, I thought that once I left for California, I mean, I came to California and I, I came and I just slept under the pier at Santa Monica. And everybody was like, how can you do that? I was like, well, if you know where I came from. This This was paradise. This is
0: freedom right here, man.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I slept under the pier Uh in Santa Monica for a couple of days, you know, and then moved on from there. Yeah. But I was homeless and I was in paradise, but it never stopped. It never stopped. I I would have thought that, you know, and people have asked me this. So did it get better? No, it never got better. It just changed. It morphed. You know, then I had to learn how to be a father. You know, I had no father. My dad was never home. He was there maybe a couple hours a week, he yes. he worked and lived in a hundred miles away. So I wasn't able to, I had no normalcy of life. I grew up stealing food for a for a, a, a decade, at least out of gardens. And in the winter times, I would steal food from all the kids. You know, I would make up these elaborate schemes to, to get into the, you know, the cloak closets yeah. to steal little bits of lunches from everybody. And I did that for a decade and nobody ever caught me. I I even remember them putting on the announcement saying, whoever's stealing food, you know, but I did, I never got caught and I became very good at thievery and I stole money and I stole everything to get by. I was doing my own laundry at seven years old and, and upwards, no one took care of me. You know, I basically had shelter only because I had a house, you know, and I went in it when it rained. That was the only shelter I really had. You know, I lived most of my life outside. I took off early in the morning and would come back as late as I possibly could, you know, to avoid all the the craziness, you know. I have to say this, Michael,
0: for some reason, coming out the other end of this right now with you, this discussion, I feel some type of elation for some reason. Maybe it's because I got a couple things off my chest tonight, Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I feel something for some reason, I feel I feel lighter. <laughs> I don't know any other way to explain it.
1: Right. Comparatively speaking. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Um, you obviously, you know, you spare no words on this clearly. And I think and I thank you for that. Um, I think it takes a lot to talk about stuff like this. And, and Take me 40 years. Yeah, And get these things off your chest. Do you think that helps you in any way, too, as far as talking about this? And speaking about this, and he, I mean, obviously writing a book about it too. Do you think that's a way of coping, a way of helping you or or others too, or others?
1: Yes. You know, and absolutely. You know, when I first started the book, it wasn't to go in the public. It was for my kids. It was okay. You know, here's what happened to your old man. You know, whenever you get old enough and you feel the need to want to know here it is. So as I started writing it, you know, it took me eight months to, to write the book. But as I started writing it, my kids who are now in their 30s, um, they were, you know, sympathetic to the idea. And they were saying, Dad, you know, you got to put it out there. You you know, you don't want somebody to suffer like you did. Nobody came to rescue you. Maybe there's somebody, well, there's got to be somebody out there who's probably going through the same thing. I mean, the likelihood of it. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people running around with my exact name. And one of them happens to be an author. (laughs) <laughs> believe it or not, Scott, oh, all three of my names. Oh, wow. So I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. Yeah. But, you know, speaking about it, I- I'll tell you something, Scott, just having the fact that people, people actually believe me is amazing because for 40 years, I've lived like a freak. I have not been able to talk to people. I'm not, I, I can't relate to anyone on the planet. I have yet to, to have somebody that I can go, God, I can relate to you. You know, no one can relate to me. I've lived alone basically for 40 plus years because I feel like there's no one out there. So, you know, therapeutically speaking, you know, this has been great because people that I've I've talked to, you know, including yourself, have been compassionate to me. Yeah. They've said they believe me because I got, uh, there's you know, I didn't do this to make money or, or attention. I don't want attention. You know, I don't want attention. I just did this book and I thought, you know what? If it helps somebody, if somebody can really know the truth about this and to combat the lies, because this is one thing I really learned about all of this is that I was lied to, you know, I lived a lie. And I lived a lie for 40 years. I never knew who I was, you know. And it wasn't until after I started asking myself questions, finding out who I am or why I do what I do, then was I able to understand, you know, what I went through. It wasn't until I, you know, people, we don't know ourselves. We don't take the time. We try to analyze other people, but we don't spend time analyzing our own selves. Why do I do what I do? Why do I get mad at this? And, and I had to cope with that because, you know, at one point I was in your Belinda locked down for suicide, you know, oh, yeah. because I didn't know who I was. I just wanted to end it. I had an identity crisis, you know, uh, you know, I felt like yeah. a nobody and a nothing and I had no value. I had no parents that told me they loved me. Nobody, nobody cooked dinner for me. Nobody washed my clothes. Nobody did anything for me. I stole, I did all the opposite. And, and I had to learn that I was a person that I mattered, that I had value. And why do I get mad at this? And why do I blow up at this? And why is this a trigger? You know, mm-hmm. why can't, uh, do I have to avoid, you know, people and crowds? And, you know, because I can't process it. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm tired from all the processing. If you ever saw the movie Beautiful Mind, that's exactly how my mind was. It was mm-hmm. constantly racing at a level that I couldn't keep up with. You well, know, that,
0: well, and that'll just wear you down. You already said that you're tired. I am so it'll tired. Wear, it'll I'm wear so you down. Tired. You can only do that for so many years. Yes, um,
1: and I did it for decades. Yeah, and that, I did it for decades, it, Out of starting at a very young age. And self, you know, my and, trauma started at three. And
0: self-reflection, I think, is one of the most difficult things that it's one of the dip, most difficult dimensions of the human condition. I think is self-reflection. Yes. I think it's the root of a lot of problems people having, taking the whole, I mean, taking the whole supernatural thing aside here for a second, I think. Um, I think it's one of the most, it is, if not the most difficult thing for a person to do to truly sit down and for, you know, not to be too cliche, but look in the mirror, <laughs> right? right? And look, truly right. look in the mirror at themselves and say, Here's what the problem is, man. Here's yeah. what, here's your issue. Here's why you do this. And be 100% unequivocally honest with yourself and not yeah. BS yourself in any way. By yourself, not talking to anybody. I'm not talking about going to see someone about this. I'm talking about actually facing this on your own. Yes. I can say that because I've experienced it myself. I've been through it several times. I, I've made no... Uh, I made no bones about it here to the people who listen to our little show uh, about the things that I've had to go through and the struggles that I had. And I mean, and I'm thankful that we actually have, uh, you know, really wonderful people listen to the show that have exchanged ideas with me, you know, over email and stuff like that about their struggles, too. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it comes down to that. That very simple thing I said already, though, is just being unequivocally honest with yourself and and not diluting anything. Right. Um, I know that that's hard to do. I, I know it's hard for anybody to do. Uh, and I think it would be very difficult, obviously, in your situation, too, Michael, because I think what you went through, uh, it was way more amplified than anything. And I, you know, I, I can say I can relate to you, Michael, but I, I mean, I don't know if I'm being 100 percent honest with that. I, I believe what you're saying, but as far as saying, I can totally 100% relate to you. I didn't go through what you went through. I didn't go through it. Right? So I can't 100 but I can, I, I mean, I know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> if, yeah. if, if, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, to have, to have, I mean, m- most people can think of a traumatic event, you know, oh, yeah. and it's oh, yeah. one traumatic event on one day can mess you up for life. It, it's you true. Know, That's true. Having it happen you know all day long and at night time for over 12 years that destroys a person yeah warps it warps com- you it completely I mean, warps mean, i didn't know which end was up I, I didn't know how to function in life yeah you know and and i had to learn i had to learn and i learned by watching you know and, and you know as far as the psychiatrist you know maybe somebody's asking right now did you ever go to a psychiatrist i went to many of them and I, you know, I, I cut straight to the chase when I went in and talked to them. I said, this is my background. And a lot of them were just like, I I, I can't help you. I can't help you. That, that, that's not in my realm of, of solvability. Yeah. And, and I realized that, yeah, I'm on my own. So when I started taking a look at myself and starting to say, okay, you know, if this is what happened to me and this is how I react to this, how do I, how do I gain a window a, a, a pause, just a window in there before I start flipping out, you know, before I start going to the impulsive behavior yeah. that I've been, I've been, uh, um, that's been placed upon me, you know, violently, Yeah. you know, yeah. and I had to learn that. And it took, it took a long time. It took a long time for me to go, okay, what just happened? That, that's a trigger. That's a trigger for me. Now, how am I going to do that? Just to be able to say those words yeah. took maybe 15 years before I was actually able to apply it. But being able to answer the questions of myself, and, and I don't mean to put any psych- psychiatrists down, yeah. but they did zero for me. And I don't what think they can I solve did, every problem. They can Yes. They can. And what I did by asking myself who I am, why do I do what I do, you know, what are my triggers? Then I was able. Hey, I, I understand myself. I know why I get angry. And then when you realize that, when a situation comes up, you go, Ah, oh, that's one of my triggers. That's the trigger. There goes. There's the window. Yeah. Now you can you can go and continue the circle by by acting impulsively again and continue it and just go. Well, I'm just a product of my dad was an alcoholic, so I'm an alcoholic, so to speak. You know. Or you can say, you know what? I'm going to change this and, and go the go the opposite direction. Yeah. I'm going to go 180 of this, and I'm going to do some. I'm going to replace that, replace that impulsive negative behavior by being by. And I don't. This isn't hippie crap, but uh, <laughs> by doing something positive and say and and you know and doing something that that makes me feel good and that is re- realistic you know not going hey it's all good it's all good you're good i'm good we're all good yeah. not nothing like that saying something that was absolutely realistic in the situation yeah. you know without without conjuring some sort of solution you know that i'm trying to you know beat beat into my head yes. what was something that just naturally could i occur would occur you know if this happens could i say you know, well, you know what, that's not the best situation I've gotten myself into, but uh, I need to figure out a way to make this uh, uh more, more, uh, more of a positive experience for myself. Something like that. Yeah. You know, and, no, and, and I then think
0: that, that, and that's where, that's really where it is. I mean, and yeah,
1: I trained myself. It's how you
0: respond to things simply. It's that's as right. Else. And I gave myself
1: that it. window and then I, you know, subjugated the negative negative. For something, It doesn't necessarily have to be positive. It could be neutral, you know, but uh, yeah. something other than the wrong way I was going about things. And once I did that and it started repeating itself, now I was backtracking everything that was systematically put into me on a regular basis and repeated to me. Uh, you know, I mean, if you watch yeah. Bugs Bunny cartoons when you were a kid, yeah. a, a cartoon comes on when you're 45 years old and you know the dialogue. <laughs> you, know? you, you do it's, that's right that's in right your dna it, it, basically
0: it, it's part of your right. dna yeah
1: because you're being trained yeah you're being trained it is manipulating you in a certain way it's entertainment but i thought when i figured all that out i said you know what i'm gonna untrain myself out of all this negative crap that has destroyed my life i mean i fixed all that for the mental part of it but my chemical i cannot fix you know, from stress and trauma, I, I have triggers where I sh- every night when I lay my head down because of the trauma at night, yeah. I shake and my face goes numb and I wake up in the morning from shaking and my face being numb. That's how I wake up and go to bed every night and now, that's just my lot in life now and that's know? the coping I'm,
0: I'm, and that's the coping aspect here i mean yes they, 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 yes nobody i can't there's fix no that there's no cure there's no cure. just that and that's yeah that's a sick reality of this thing it's a, it's a harsh reality that we both yes. know uh it, it,
1: it's it, you cannot be cured of this you can only cope
0: that's um, right
1: and i am on medication yeah. to help me you know because if i wasn't on medication i'd pass out yeah. When nighttime comes, if I have to get up in the middle of the night, you know, to pee or just because I can't sleep, which is usually a cause because I have insomnia mm-hmm. and and I will start, I can feel the stress coming on. And before I can even do anything, boom, I'm hitting the floor. I've already hit my head, broke oh my stuff, fell down, had to go to the hospital so many times, ambulance. You know, so now I got it down to where I know I got to take my medication before I get tired, uh-huh. you know, so that this doesn't all, the process doesn't begin, you know, yes, sir. but that, that's how it is for me. And, you know, I'm alive, I'm here for my, my kids and my grandkids, and that's better than being dead because I killed myself because I couldn't handle what I was going through.
0: Now, you know what and, I mean? And I salute you for that, that, you know, and I know it's a hard run, especially in your situation. Uh, and that takes guts. I think I, 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 you need to know that, that I know there's, and there's, you're, you know, there's lots of people that are in that situation too. And yes, it's easy. I think to take the other route. Um, and I won't, I don't judge either way. That's but, why everybody uses drugs. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, everybody, everybody, I mean, yeah. People drink. We I mean, abuse coffee. Yeah. Well, anything <laughs> no. to alter your consciousness. You know what I mean? That's right. Anything, to that, not anything to take you out of the moment the sober moment you might be in. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm far from perfect,
1: (laughs) but we all are,
0: but you know, I mean, is that part of the human condition? I don't know, but I do. I think it's how people try to cope with things. Uh, Devil takes the hindmost, a true story of terror. That's the name of the book. Where can that, where can people get the book at Michael? Um,
1: Well, right now it's only available on uh, Amazon for Kindle. Uh, if you have Kindle Unlimited, you actually get it for free. Yeah, and I think I believe there are four apps now, like on Google Play and some other ones that you can download the book right to your phone uh, for Android and iPhone. So it's available there. Yeah. I'm not going to do paperback or hard copy uh, uh, until until a little bit later on when well, I start doing I, yeah, because I just got I just got signed as a speaker. Uh, with the International Bureau of Speakers in Manhattan, New York, uh, to tell my story. So um, once that gets going, yeah. or if it gets going, <laughs> will be the question. Yeah. You know, if anybody wants to hear this craziness, then I'll have actual physical books available.
0: Well, I'll make sure we'll we'll make sure we, we link all this stuff up when we post the show. So we'll have links to your to the book Devil Takes the High Most, a true story of terror. Michael, I want to thank you. Um I, I meant that when I said that earlier, um, I'm leaving this conversation with you feeling a little lighter. Like I felt kind of heavy coming into this, uh, and we talked Good. about a lot of stuff here. So, yeah. you know, I don't know w- w- what's going on with, with me, <laughs> but yeah. I do know I'm leaving this conversation feeling better. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you for, d- yep. for coming here and talking to me. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, and maybe I can come back, uh, Uh, When uh, part two comes out, like I said, I just I just delivered it to the editor yesterday and it should be uh, up for release by January. Uh, We would love that, Michael.
0: Wouldn't have it any other way. You have an open door
1: here, sir. Well, thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate it.